Hey, David. Hey, Graham. What kind of exercise do lazy people do? What kind of exercise do lazy people do? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would say none, but... They do diddly squats. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you get that one? Uh, From my vault. From your vault? Your joke vault? Okay. Mm -hmm. I always am curious if it's like from your three-year-old or something. Oh, no, no. Because if it's from your three-year-old... It's a quazillion points. Yeah, that would be super impressive. No, but that's actually, uh, uh, for like the, the quality of joke on this show, that's like an eight. Whoa. That's probably the funniest. Are we, are we locking in an eight? I'm 7.5. Okay, well, keep going. Keep saying what you're about to say. Seven. It's about the funniest it's one. It's about the funniest joke I've heard since this episode started. Oh. I mean... I, I was going to say it's about the funniest joke either of us have told on this show, but then it felt like you were going to be so happy about that. So then I kind of scaled it back. But hey, I've got a joke for you. Go for it. I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not as funny as that. Okay. When does a joke turn into a dad joke? When does a joke turn? I don't know. When it becomes apparent. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Well, that is very funny. I think we're getting better at this. Mm. Even though we're not coming up with these jokes, I still feel like, you know, <laughs> extreme ownership over over these ratings. <laughs> right. uh, I'm going to give that a six. Oh, okay. I'll take that. You know what, though? Enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown-worthy jokes. Featuring your favorite authors and illustrators, it's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I am David Kern. And I am Graham Pittman. On this week's episode, we are chatting with... Uh, Joe Sutphin. And what does he do? Uh, He draws stuff and things. He draws stuff and things. Mm -hmm. And... He is especially good at it, and thus seems seem like a good person to have on. This if podcast. you're really good at drawing stuff and things, they call you an artist. And then we want to have you on podcasts. Mm. That's how it works. And in this case, that's particularly so when you illustrate some of the great children's books that are out there. If you have read, say, the Wingfeather Saga. You have seen Joe Sutphin's illustrations, but we'll talk more about that later. Of course, in this episode, at the end, we're going to do a riddle. Before that. We're going to talk about Charlotte's Web. We're going to talk about chapters four, five, and six. We're going to talk about snacks. Snack time. Snack time. Should we just talk about that now? Should we just get snack time out of the way? Because our snacks are going to melt. Yes, they are. So what are we eating? Well, my teeth are cold, but my belly is warm. You're eating an icicle. All right, close. A penguin. Well, you're eating this the exact same thing. I don't know why you need to guess. Oh, oh right. right. We, are, we are eating ice cream tonight. Mint chocolate chip. Mm-hmm. Yum. It is absolutely delicious, and it is hitting the spot. We're also eating cheese. It's because that's pretty much what we do on this podcast. And I brought an entire pumpkin that I'm, and a comically large spoon, and I'm just going to eat the entire thing. I was wondering what you were going to do with that. I thought, you know, tis the season. Yeah, I thought um, it was going to be that decoration outside the No, and I really like studio. pumpkin pie and, you know, maybe like a pumpkin milkshake. So I figured, why not just eat the pumpkin? You, well, I mean, you, what if you were to combine the ice cream with the pumpkin? Uh, yeah. We could also roast the pumpkin seeds. Maybe that's a better idea. Have you ever done that? Of course. Roasted pumpkin seeds. Yeah. I am not the world's biggest fan of pumpkin things, although I do like pumpkin pie. Mostly, I think, for nostalgia reasons. Well, pumpkin pie tastes more like nutmeg and, and you know, fall and whip, spices. And, and whipped cream. <laughs> because now, as I'm eating this uh, pumpkin... <clears throat> Just by itself, 
uh, I'm realizing uh, actual just pumpkin. You're, yeah, you're looking a little uncomfortable. It's not that great, but yeah. I've committed. Yep, that's a it's a big commitment. It's that's a big the commitment. Biggest pumpkin I've seen in a while. Man, I'm not looking forward to getting to the stem. And the worst thing is if you don't eat it relatively quickly, it's probably going to like start to smell weird, and that's mm. going to like make the experience. You know what? We should probably move on from snack time. You feel? I feel like if we linger here, not only is our ice cream going to melt, but you are going to get pumpkined out. So before we get on with the rest of this show, I just want to tell you about our friends over at The Green Rider. Do you remember the particular author who is behind The Green Rider, Graham? Uh, yep, that is S.D. Smith. Yeah, S.D. Smith. And he is doing these, these writing videos. It's like, a, it's like a course. I think that's fair to say. It's a course. It's a course. Yeah, for kids who, who want to be writers. He's got all kinds of great ideas and insights and wisdom for writers of all different ages. And it's an accessible online course that encourages and equips aspiring authors of all ages to... Do you remember the two verbs? Yes. What are they? Uh, uh, go. Yep. And grow. I don't know if that's the order he put them in. That is the order he, uh, he put I them in. I knew it. So green writers are going. They have a green light. They aren't waiting for permission or until the fear is gone or the muse strikes. Green writers... They go. The green writers are also... Growing. Like a green living thing... They are alive, not yet what they will become. They're becoming writers who create and share generous, excellent work. So if you want to go and grow as a writer, join beloved best-selling author S.D. Smith and become a green writer. You can try free sample sessions today at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. One more time, that URL is greenwriter, and that's W-R-I-T-E-R, not R-I-D-E-R. I just thought I should clarify that. Not green writer, green writer. Mm-hmm. It would be weird if it was Green Writer, though. So, greenwriter.sdsmith.com. They're helping make this podcast possible this month, and they're also helping make it possible for so many um, precocious children out there to become even better writers. So, we, we're thankful for them uh, on both counts. Did you know we actually have another sponsor for this episode? We, we do? Yeah. I was just sent. Uh, I was just sent an, e- an email. No, I was sent a pigeon. Frank From Frank? No. It was a different pigeon farm? Are you ready? Diego's Pigeon Farm. This episode of the With You Window podcast is brought to you by Joe's Pigeon Farm. Are they in competition? That's right. Joe's Pigeon Farm. The leading pigeon farm in the Tri-County area. (laughs) Frank, more like stank. His pigeons smell like he's been feeding them a steady diet of skunk pellets. (laughs) Wow. Really aggressive. Buy your birds from Joe's and have no more woes. Joe's pigeons are cheaper, better, cleaner. You just have to see the acceleration on these babies. You can buy a pigeon from Frank. And believe me, you'll be returning it the next day. Their wings fall off. Also, Frank's a bad guy. I've seen him insult squirrels and bring them to tears. Joe loves all animals, winged or not. So when you think pigeons... Don't think Frank's. Think Joe's. Located across from Frank's Pigeon Farm. Look for the functional truck. I feel... I feel bad. That was aggressive. I feel bad that Frank was a sponsor last season after that description. Well, I don't know. This seems more like an attack. I I don't know if we should even run this. We can't, like, uh, uh, check the validity, the truthfulness of these claims. That's true. See, Frank didn't attack any other Pigeon Farm, but Joe seems... I don't know. The question is, what's going to happen next week? Is Frank going to come back at Joe and defend himself? Or perhaps 
accuse Joe of not being as great as Joe thinks he is? Well, I don't know if Frank has enough time to write ad copy uh, net for next week. Well, it might it might be next season. Fa- that's fair. It does take well, especially if you're sending your ad copy with, through Pigeon. Like yeah. no matter what Pigeon Farm it comes through, it's like going to take a little while. Yeah, true. So well, thanks to the Green Rider and SD Smith, and also Joe's and, Pigeon, and also to Joe. I, I think. I feel bad for Frank though. Yeah, I mean, jo- <sighs> yeah. You know what? We should we should probably just move on because if we if we hang out here too long, I'm going to start feeling conflicted about these two different pigeon farms. It's the Great uh, Pigeon War. The, pigeon battle. I, I don't really want to have to pick sides in the Great You the don't great want to be war. in the middle of a pigeon war. No, you do not. <laughs> no, it gets messy. Not. Yeah, it does. Okay, so we've done snack time. We've even told jokes. We've talked about a couple of wonderful sponsors. Mm-hmm. That means it's time to talk about Charlotte's Web. We're here to talk about chapters four, five, and six. Fourth, fifth, and sixth chapters. I've got a question for you. Shoot. When you were reading... No, the, I'm like, shoot. Oh, no, another question. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, you go first then. No, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Well, now I don't want to. I'm just joking. Okay. Well, okay. So, when you were reading chapters four, five, and six mm-hmm. of this book, were you struck by how unique each of the animals was? Because I was. Yes. You, oh, you were? Yeah. I even wrote that in here. Animal personalities. That was like my own little title for these pages. Because Go on. Because uh, E.B. White. Excalibur B. White. Excalibur B. White seems to go to some great lengths to show us that these aren't, uh, not all the animals in the barn are, you know, of one mind. They're all doing kind of different things and, and Wilbur is is exploring kind of their personalities a little bit as he wanders around kind of bored because it's a rainy day as chapter four starts out and he's sad. He can't go outside. So, but yeah, we've got the goose, we got the rat, we got the sheep. What was the other one? There's, there's another, well, Charlotte, we eventually the spider. spider. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, speaking of which, let's talk about bugs for a minute. Are you a bug guy? Is anybody? Well, of course somebody is. Lots of children are bug people. You're right. You're children right. love bugs. Um, no, I am not. Are you? <sighs> I think maybe we should say, are we bug people now? And were we as children? And just to clarify, we mean like, do we like bugs? Not are we bug, bug people? Like, like we're not like, like you're half cockroach. Yeah. Uh, no, no. Yeah. Like, like we're not peeling off our, our skin and to reveal that but we're actually, if you monster, were to be a bug, bug what monster. kind of bug would you be? Oh, it better uh, a ladybug. I don't know. <laughs> Something that I'm not scared of. <laughs> Yeah, you wouldn't want to be scared when you look in the mirror. A butterfly? I don't, I don't know. Ooh, a butterfly. How about a honeybee? Oh, I, yeah, that's nice. A honeybee, like they pollinate flowers. Yeah. And... But then they have to live in the hive with all the other bees like crawling all uh, over yeah, each other. Yeah, the bees like are, they clean the hive. It's like a, it's a super interesting. I've never like, seen a clean hive, but. Well, I mean, clean is maybe a relative term for. What about for you? What bug way. would you be? Uh, um. See, on the one hand, I would think, okay, it's got to be a bee. Be, because people generally will try to leave you alone or they try to assassinate you and then mm. you can choose to just stay away from them and hopefully that helps. Um, but the, the relationship between the bees and the flowers is pretty special. That's pretty, that's pretty uh, yeah. legit. But on the other hand, if you want to be like the king of the bugs, you've got to be like a big spider, right? Yeah, maybe. Or like maybe one of those giant like rhinoceros beetles 
that are oh, like yeah. five inches long. And What's like, the bu- like a bullet a, ant? Oh no, a bullet ant. Super, <laughs> super, super aggressive bite. A sting, sting. Yeah, yeah. they have a they have a stinger. Um, yeah, I don't know. What about did you like bugs as kids? As a kid, I, I wasn't like you know. You're not like Lucas. You're not like your son. Oh no, not like my letting kid. him just crawl up your arms. And... Yeah, like yeah. No, I mean I wasn't like afraid of them or anything. Mm-hmm. Are you afraid of like you kind of joked that you are you actually? Oh, uh, they're of not, they're just not my favorite creature. Yeah. Um. Yeah they they still look very scary to me. A lot of them. So the other night I was lying on that couch right over there and I was reading, and then I realized that on the end of it was a very large spider, like three inches from where my head was. Mm-hmm. And I saw it out of the corner of my eye. And, and you went, ah! Yeah, I did. I went, ah! And then the bookstore troll came and popped it in its mouth. Right. Yeah, did we point out that the bookstore troll eats spiders? Yeah, he eats a lot of the bugs yeah, around here. It's useful. Anyway, back to the book. So we have the spider, we have all these different animals, and it even tells us, for example, that the rat is, what does it say? He's He's evil. Basically, he's uh, he's I mean, a sour character. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's kind of crooked a little bit. But he was also honest with Wilbur. Mm. He's like, uh, you know, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go eat your food now because you're not eating it. <laughs> you know, as part of my like sneaking for the day. So I thought that was fun. What do you think of the fact that like Wilbur is getting his own personality? Yeah, I like that a lot. Because he is like... What was the word we were talking about? He's precocious. He's precocious. You know what? That's a good word. What does precocious mean? How do you? How would you? He seems maybe smarter than he should be. Okay, yeah, because he's a pig or because he's a kid. Both. Okay, he is very, very young. True. And 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 he's very logical, and he's also very observant. Yeah, which maybe true. maybe all the animals that we have ever seen are very precocious. We just don't know because they can't tell us. You know, this kind of, it just this is just occurring to me. It seems like each of the characters almost has the role of, almost like a family mm-hmm. where you have this kid who's precocious and he's basically constantly saying the equivalent of like, what if? Mm-hmm. And asking questions and making observations and he wants to know stuff. And then Templeton the Rat's kind of like that, mean older brother or something yeah who's gonna steal your dinner yeah like then you've got um you know what charlotte the grandmother oh that's good i like that yeah the parents i don't know it's not doesn't work exactly but it's just interesting how they each sort of play their own role in the barn and how he really captures that he he sets that up in a really nice way and i assume that's going to play out as we go on yeah that's really good what else did you like about this section um i liked how chapter four like i think the theme of that chapter is definitely loneliness. Mm. And I think that because he named the chapter loneliness. You know, when they name a chapter something, it's best to take notice of it. Yeah. And so that's where he's going around to the animals, seeing who wants to play with them. Nobody does. He ends up crying himself almost to sleep when he hears a voice in the darkness, which turns out to be Charlotte. And then he stays awake uh, <laughs> because he can't sleep because he's curious and excited. Yeah. And, and then she appears. So her entrance is really fun because it's just a voice. Yeah. It's like a disembodied voice. Yeah. And then the next day, um, he, he kind of uh, stands in the middle of the barn and says, whoever it was last night, you know, and he makes show a, your face. Yeah. Show your face. And boink, nobody, boink. nobody answers. 
One thing I like about that, though, is you mentioned the loneliness thing, is when Charlotte comes in, he could have just, Excalibur be white, that is, could have just made it, and then the spider appeared and surprised Wilbur. Mm-hmm. But the spider came as like an answer to something that Wilbur was dealing with. So Wilbur was feeling lonely. He was looking for a friend, and the story tells us that, and then when Wil- and then when Charlotte shows up, it makes it even more meaningful. Yeah, because I agree. We're, because it's, he, he's now got a friend. It's not just the weird spider that eats animals that's, you know. Yeah, and we don't even know if they're going to be friends yet, but we know somebody's at least listening to him. True, yeah. And, like, seeing him. Yeah, um, that's a good way of putting it. But I like, I like how he gets up afterwards, or that next day, and makes his pronouncement to everybody. Um, and the oldest sheep says, hey, if you really have a new friend here, better stop yelling so early in the morning because the easiest way to lose a new friend is to wake them up when they don't want to be woken up. <laughs> Reminds me of when you and I lived together many years ago. <laughs> Except in that case, neither of us wanted to, we're getting up early. No, no, none of us were standing up in the room yelling. No, we were, we were both sleeping. The uh, quickest way to spoil a friendship is to wake somebody up in the morning before he is ready. Lots of wisdom from that sheep right yeah. there. You could, you could crochet that you know, on a quilt or... or However, that works. Well, made of cross stitch it wool. and put it above your door of your bedroom. Make it a meme. <laughs> is me is memery the new cross stitch? Sure. So uh, kids are like, "What are memes?" Um, and they're like, "What is cross stitch?" Well, who knows? <laughs> True. Well, hey, before we move on, any final thoughts on this section? Because we're getting deeper into the story, and um, we got that int- we got that little foreshadowing where the goose thought to himself, what a silly pig. He doesn't even recognize what's going to happen to him at Christmas time. So things are getting a little more serious. We're getting loneliness and the idea that, you know, uh, certain creatures eat other creatures and, yeah. you know, it's not, it's getting a little more serious in some of its, some of its themes. Yeah. And there, um, even when he first meets Charlotte and they have that conversation, he leaves it thinking like, I'm not sure about this spider. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like the spider's very nonchalant about good word. about uh, eating other insects and drinking their blood, and, and Wilbur's kind of taken aback a little bit by that. But one of the things that we haven't talked about really yet, um, it's not a theme, but it's the way E.B. White writes. E.B. White, White writes. E.B. White. E.B. White. E.B. Writes. E.B. E. White writes. Uh, he's very descriptive in a way that kind of paints a picture and puts you in that place. So when he's writing about the barn and he has several times, um, usually like every other chapter, I kind of stop and think, wow, that was, I'm right there. Like the rainy day, it was like a a whole couple paragraphs or big long paragraph about Mm. the way the rain is interacting with, it's, it's just wonderful. I wanted to point that out. Well, there was that section where he's talking about all his plans for the day that didn't happen. Yeah, that was really long too. And that sounded like a whole page. Sounded like a good day. Was he talking about all the things he wanted to eat and the Yeah. And then he's like, uh, from eight to nine or you know, I'll go have a conversation with that rat, even though yeah, not my favorite convers <laughs> you know, person to talk to, but he's already planned that out. Yeah. Again, that kind of goes to the precociousness of Wilbur. Yeah. He has this concept for what a good day is, but then the rain ruins it. Yeah. But I think his good day was pretty good. 
That's just like, this is what I'm going to have for breakfast. Then I'm going to take a nap. I'm going to maybe talk to these people. I'm going to eat lunch. Uh, maybe take another nap. I'm going to scratch against the fence. <laughs> it's a great day. Pig or not. <laughs> eat, nap, spend some time outside with your friends. Yeah. Sounds pretty good to yeah. me. I'm a little jealous. All right. Hey, before we move on, I just have a very important question for you. How, how's the ice cream coming along? Is it, is it completely melted? It's a lot better than pumpkin. Oh, okay. I was you feeling okay? It's coming along better than the pumpkin and it's tasting better than the okay. pumpkin. Okay. All right. It's not melted yet. It's getting there. Okay. Well, let's take a break. Yeah. Let's eat our ice cream and then let's move on and have a conversation with Joe Sutton. All right. Well, we are back from our finishing our ice cream and it is now time to have our conversation with with Joe Sutton. Graham, what can you tell us about Joe Sutphin? Uh He is an illustrator of books for kids, such Thanks. as Andrew Peterson's out. beloved Wing Feather Saga, and the New York Times bestselling Word of Mouse by James Patterson, as well as the newly envisioned edition of Little Pilgrim's Progress, mm. and the official graphic novel adaptation of Richard Adams' timeless classic, Watership Down. Oh, that's a big deal. Yeah. His love of nature and of the living creatures in the fields and woods around his home has informed his art for much of his life. Joe lives in a barn in Ohio with his wife, Gina, and a bunch of cats. Did he say he lives in a barn in Ohio? It does say he lives in a barn in Ohio. He sounds like a character in Charlotte's Web. He does. Maybe he'll come up. We don't know. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Well, hey, we chatted with Joe Sutphin a couple weeks ago. Had a great time, and this is that conversation. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Well, Joe, thank you for being here. This is this is uh, going to be really fun. We have been wanting to have you on the show since since th- we conceived of the notion of Withy Wendell. It's true, and here we are. He's here. He's on the show. Joe Sutphin, how's it going? Going good. Thank you guys for having me. What do you What are you drawing right now? Like right this second? Are you have you Did you draw anything? Did you have to stop drawing something to come talk to us? No, I, I don't usually, uh, I'm not disciplined enough to get drawing this early in the morning. It oh. <laughs> takes me a little bit. So nothing, nothing. So if being we were done. doing this at 10 o'clock at night and not 10 a.m. Yeah. Might be a different story there. hundred percent different. I would be in the middle of a page of Watership Down right now at that point. <laughs> hey, he's wearing a Watership Down shirt. People yeah, can't see cool. that, but you know, pretty, pretty good shirt. Ooh, can we pretend we're wearing cool shirts? Nobody can see us. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's a great, a, you're wearing a great a, shirt. I Don Treader shirt. Yeah, yep. yeah. I'm wearing a uh, Lord of the Rings shirt. You actually have like a muffin on your shirt. Yeah, well, milk. Bread. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's morning. I wear I wear muffin shirts in the morning. <laughs> so, um, so Joe, we have a very important question for you that is related to food. Anybody who's listened knows, you know what what question is coming. Are you a Doritos guy or a Cheetos guy? If I ate either, which I don't anymore, unfortunately, I would be a Doritos guy. Hmm. Well, he said unfortunately, so he's like pining still, yeah, right, for the yeah. salty. It was a snack. Yeah, not <laughs> not like by a by a personal choice. I did not stop eating them by personal choice. I just had to for health reasons. Mm. Mm. Well, we're all getting old. Yeah. <laughs> well, so when you were a kid, you were a Doritos guy, though. Yeah. Regular or Cool Ranch or some other variation? Which you know, back? my favorite. My favorite were when they came out with what at the time they they referred to as their Taco Bell ones. Mm. 
and they they just tasted like tacos. They were awesome. But I, I would take just regular Doritos probably okay. over any other. Okay. Should should we dive right into the question about food? Uh, of course. Okay, because one of our one of our you know we get questions from the kids who listen to the podcast and who read the books that uh, the authors and illustrators come on you know contribute to, and so this one is from well this child there's no name included but it's here's a question what's your favorite snack and does drawing ever make you hungry because every time i draw a picture i get really hungry that's the question i mean i'm interpreting the dramatic you know the dramatic reading yeah, but, the anger i yeah. can feel it coming out yeah. of that question hmm drawing i would start by saying that uh i don't know that drawing makes me hungry but I tend to be kind of munchy when I'm working, which is not a great thing. <laughs> um, but uh, it, that's a hard that's a hard question to answer um, because I've made so many health conscious choices to change up what I snack on. But um, I do eat a lot of corn chips. Um, but I'm a big fan of Boston baked beans. Mm. Yeah. I wonder how all beans. I wonder how many kids have had Boston baked beans. That Probably a lot. They, you think? Yeah. They think we're talking yeah. about beans in a can too. But yeah, yeah, baked baked uh, beans. They're just like no. <laughs> he heats them up on the stove. He's got a little burner oven in his in his studio. He heats <laughs> he them, up. them right out of the can. Heat them out of the can like a cowboy. He's a cowboy illustrator. You're talking about what is ostensibly a candy, right? Yeah. yeah. It's like hard. Sugar, they can chip your teeth. Yeah. Not careful. If they're fresh, they're not hard at all, which is oh, great. Okay. He only he only had I've year only had old. the stale ones, <laughs> yeah, from the basement here. So yeah. do do you get hungry? Like you say, you are kind of munchy while you. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it has anything to do with hunger, though. I think it's just kind of a just like a eat eat while you're working kind yeah. of thing. Like but while you're working, working too. you've got to be very careful of like smudges I was and just oils and like you can't be eating cheetos or doritos while you're working on an illustration because then all of a sudden yeah, you've have got you like ever, orange in have your you ever ruined uh, uh illustrations because of your snacking habits uh no but that is a consistent fear that my wife gina has because for whatever reason uh i'm constantly taking her art to share it with her while she's cooking and ah. <laughs> she'll always like stop me before I enter the kitchen and say, hang on, let me finish this real quick and I'll take a look at it. <laughs> it's like steam that comes, comes yeah. in the paper just immediately like shrivels. <laughs> <clears throat> now, Joe, uh, usually we kind of know where people are geographically. I'm not sure where you, you live. You don't have to tell us the town or even the state. I'm assuming you're, you're in North America. Yeah. Correct. And maybe even so. the United States. of America. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I am. I, I, we are, we're just outside of Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Midwest. Mm-hmm. We were just in Ohio. Well, no, you, I you was. Were. You were. You were. You, you, yeah. You so, come. so how long have you lived there? Did you grow up there? Where'd you grow up? I did. I grew up. I grew up like 10 minutes away from where I live now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. We were just at a, I was just at a convention there and met, uh, uh, who did I meet there? Danny Glover. Nope. Guess again. Uh, Calvin Coolidge. It was, it was SD Smith. Oh, oh, um, oh, I should have guessed that. Cincinnati convention. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I met, uh, Mr. Tumbleweed Thompson himself. <laughs> you met Tumbleweed. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. So can you tell us, you know, about, some of the projects that you worked on, because when we have authors come on, you know, we can say, these are the two 
two books they've been working on. You know, this is SD Smith series, but as an illustrator, uh, like Zach Franzen, who came on last season, there's a whole bunch of different projects that you're working on. Um, and I was wondering if you could just kind of tell us about some of the projects that you've worked on and maybe how that came to be. Because one of the things that you know, my kids were asking were, well, how does an illustrator get hooked up with a book that he's working on? So, you know, maybe tell us about one or two of the projects you've, you're either working on now or you worked on recently and kind of how that happens for an illustrator. Yeah. Well, I will start by saying that, um, a lot of my story of, of where I, where I've done a lot of my books kind of starts with Andrew Peterson. Um, and when you meet someone like Andrew, who is just so, um, community driven, uh, you get, you get kind of tossed into this community uh, of people who, who already love art, already love books. Um, and, uh, I will say that it, it, the getting work in just the traditional like New York publishing market um, was a lot harder. Um, I've done a good deal of books in traditional New York publishing, um, but that took a lot of uh, just legwork on my own part to try and get my work in front of uh, art directors and editors. Um, but probably half of the work I've done has been for, uh, Christian authors, um, and a lot of those were people that I met because of Andrew. So um, I don't know if it was maybe uh, maybe like uh, nine or ten, probably ten years ago. Um, I got an email from Andrew uh, introducing himself and just telling me who he was—that he was a songwriter and um, that him and his brother had uh, this website called the Rabbit Room um, and he was just letting me know that he and his oldest son, Aiden would go to my blog spot, which back then that was kind of the big thing. Facebook wasn't really a, a big deal back then. So um, they would go to my blog spot all the time and, and look for new art um, because I was just trying to put my art out there. And that was probably like the easiest way for me to put my art online without having to have like a, a fancy website or something. So um and I think he kind of ended his email by saying, uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can work together someday. Don't, don't have anything in, in the books right now, but, um, and it was, we stayed in touch over like the next year. Um, and then they were going to do their Kickstarter to, um, to put the, uh, Warden and the Wolf King out. And, uh, he asked me if I could illustrate the warden and the wolf king uh, kind of started out with just like a map. Can, can you do a map for the book? Um, and I agreed. And before, before it was over, we ended up with, I don't know, like 30 or 40 illustrations in the book. And uh, that, that book was like a huge success on Kickstarter. I think at the time it was like Kickstarter's highest, highest funded like fictional book project. So that, that was kind of cool. And uh, it, it kind of grandfathered me into um, the the world of the rabbit room. And uh, Andrew had me come to Hutchmoot that year, which is the rabbit rooms annual creative conference. And uh, there was not really a, a visual art presence at Hutchmoot. It was mostly authors and uh, songwriters and filmmakers. And so I just kind of set up uh, a little stack of, uh, like preliminary sketches that I'd been working on for Warden and the Wolf King. And I just sat at like a six foot 
folding table and uh, people would come by and, and I, I was just like instantly everybody's favorite illustrator that week because they, they knew I was working on their favorite book series. And, um, and actually uh, uh, Sam Smith's uh, kids came up and they were, they were some of the first kids that I met who were wing feather fans and they picked up my sketches and they were just pointing out like all the characters they could tell who they were just by like the descriptions that they knew. So I knew I was on the, on the right path, the right track with the, with the art. And uh, so over that time, uh, becoming friends with Sam and then joining Sam when he used to do the Inkwell conference in Charlotte. Yeah. Um, I met uh, Glenn McCarty there. And I had been doing some uh, illustrating just some short stories for him for um, Story Warren. And uh, uh, I ended up doing uh, illustrating Glenn's uh, Tumbleweed Thompson book uh, and his uh, Junction Tales book. And that that was a lot of fun getting to uh, to really flesh out the Tumbleweed Thompson world because I had done some just some simple art for it in short story form. and I ended up uh, illustrating the entire Wing Feather series when when it went to get reprinted. Um, so that was kind of cool to get to revisit that again and um, to flesh out the entire series uh, in in the way that I would would view it. Uh, and then uh, actually, it was through a video of mine that the Rabbit Room posted that. Uh, the creative director, Eric Peterson at Moody Publishers, um, found me and was looking for someone to work on uh, his new idea for uh, a, a re, revisiting Little Pilgrim's Progress um, and, and trying to find a new vision for that. So that was how I, how I got linked up there. <clears throat> uh, currently illustrating the Watership Down graphic novel. Uh, which is the uh, official graphic novel being done with uh, the Richard Adams estate um, and Random House. And um, that happened actually through an Instagram connection. So I've had, I've actually had some really great uh, Instagram connections that have actually led to uh, real work. So. So it sounds like putting yourself out there and putting your work out there is kind of step one. Cause, cause yeah. if people are finding you, they've got to be able to find you. Right. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I would say step two is making sure that the work that you put out there is consistent and actually like relatable in some way. Um, If you're just doing a bunch of fan art and putting it out there, you you probably more than likely won't get contacted by people wanting to publish books. Um, Or if you have like a bunch of, I don't know what they call them, like furries, like the, uh, it's like the fan art of a bunch of like, manga looking animal characters that are kind of human looking. I see it all the time. Um, and I see entire like Instagram accounts that are just nothing but these drawings, which some of them can be really well done, but um, that that's not really the kind of thing that's going to get publishers reaching out to you. So hmm. you said so original stuff. Yeah. Original, if uh, original is good, as long as it's not uh, so out there that someone can't, understand what's happening. Um, if you're trying to get work, um, I wouldn't call like if you took a classic novel 
uh, classic kids book and you decided to do uh, maybe like four or five illustrations from that and you were posting those online, that's not the same as doing fan art. That, right. that, is, that is showing an editor, um, here's how I present illustrating something that you probably are already familiar with. And that editor can instantly see that and say, Oh, this guy knows, you know, that knows that story. And I could see this being illustrated that way. Or they could look at it and say, wow, this guy clearly didn't read that book. This looks nothing like what I imagined it to be. Or, you know, like they get a really good sense of your ability to, to tell a story visually. So this season we're talking about Charlotte's web. So a kid could go on and they could interpret they could make their own graphic novel panels for Charlotte, for Charlotte's West. That's great. Yeah. Take a yeah. scene. Yeah. And just go to town. We should do that. We don't have you time to do that, yeah. but we should do that. <laughs> I, stick figures are, don't make for great graphic novels. So Joe, uh, here's another question um, from a listener. Uh, when you're illustrating someone's book, how much of the story do you read ahead of time to really capture the characters? Well, do you go off descriptions the author gives you, or do you have to dig into the story before you know what the characters look like? Yeah, that is a good question. And that's something I deal with, with every single book. Um, I do like to make sure that I am finding descriptions um, that authors give because kids will notice if I got something wrong. So <laughs> um, I I make yeah, sure that I'm scouring. Tough on, the text. On illustrators. Yeah, <laughs> I I make sure that I'm scouring the text first to make sure that I'm that I'm getting descriptions uh, correct. And some authors are not very descriptive about the way characters look. Um, that's something I run into with Richard Adams with Watership Down is that uh, more than likely most of the rabbits are not really described. So. I'm trying to think through their personality, things like that, and 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 give them, uh, give them something. But uh, for the most part, a lot of authors are fairly descriptive. Um, I I typically have to put those questions through to an editor, and the editor will ask the author uh, questions like that. If it were a picture book, um, and uh, Usually in a picture book, there's not going to be descriptors like because uh, a picture book is usually like prose of some sort, like kind of being narrated at you about the the characters. Um, so usually I, I would have kind of free reign there to make characters look the way I want them to look. But in a novel, um, if uh, there are there are the rare instances where, say, I'm working directly with Andrew or Glenn. Um, then I will literally just text them or call them and say, Hey, you know, here's some sketches I did of this character. What do you think of that? Hmm. Do you enjoy that process or is it, is it like kind of scary to have to interpret that? And I do enjoy it. And, and it's, it's actually not scary. Um, I'm not sure why, but, uh, I've never been the kind of person that has to do like a hundred sketches of a character before I get it right. A lot of times I find myself stopping after two or three. Uh, sometimes I feel like the first sketch is the one that I'm stuck with. I, I keep going back to it or I can't, I can't improve on it. And I think it just has something to do with kind of like visualizing a character in my mind. And then when I put that on paper, a lot of times that's just the character that, that, that I stick with. So that's called talent. <laughs> I don't know what causes that, but um, I've I've not had 
any author ever be um, upset with any character. Um, I've had, I had one instance where um, I thought that I was interpreting the descriptions I was given and the author just pointed out that I had these characters much older than they were supposed to be. And so I just dialed them down um, and, and then they were happy with them. Hmm. How do you dial down a character's age? You're removing gray hair. <laughs> oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah. Looking for, I guess, more, more youthful features. And I guess you kind of inadvertently make them a little more attractive, I guess. It's, it's kind of an odd thought. It's not like people get unattractive as they get older, but there's something about characters and books. Um, I kind of like fine tune the lines a little more, make the noses smaller, you know, make the eyes look younger. So el- eliminate the wrinkle lines, the worry yeah. lines. Yeah. So just to clarify, does this mean you have, so, so you do illustrations, you send them to the author, the author says, eh, maybe make these characters a little younger. Does that mean you're starting over or are you doing it on the computer? And so you can digitally kind of fine tune that. Uh, I, I can, I can digitally do it pretty easy, but I, I tend to like to draw on paper. So um, I, usually those sketches don't take all that long. So I'm probably just going to redraw them. So you're doing kind of unfinished sketches that you're sending on before you kind of finalize them and everything. Yeah. And I would, I would do a lot of just random sketching of characters before I ever dive into actually fleshing out scenes or anything. Right. Right. Okay. All right. I'd like to introduce a new segment. Just for Joe? Everybody's new favorite segment. You ready? Okay. All right. It's called cup of Joe. It's where we all silently imagine what uh, what a tiny Joe Sutphin would look like. You know, small enough to fit into a cup. <laughs> you, no, I don't know. How does silently. this? How does this work on a podcast? It, Fine. It's okay. an, It's an, It's not a silent medium. Fine. How about this cup with Joe, where we silently watch him drink his coffee? Well, that's okay, okay for you and me, but how the listeners can't watch him drink his coffee? Fine. Silently make his coffee. Again, we can. Okay, and is it the silently thing? Yeah, it's the silently okay. thing. We have How to... about Joe's Joe's, where Joe tells us about his favorite Joe's? Okay, now that we can do. Joe Sutphin, this is the, it's our new favorite segment in which on this particular episode, someone named Joe tells us who his favorite Joe's are. Yes. Are you willing to join us for this segment, Joe? I am. And are we referring to coffee as Joe? We were, but now we're... <laughs> but now we don't know. <laughs> you now have uh, free reign to tell us about any Joe's that you... Are fond of most of the Joes in my life were at my last job, and I haven't seen them in a long time. So um, there's not a, lot not a big fan, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I thought he was going to say most of the Joes in my life. I'm not. I just don't like <laughs> bunch of average. Joe. What about what about? Oh, that's good. What about famous Joes? Famous Joes. Shoeless Little Joe, Joe Cartwright. The <laughs> <laughs> Joe DiMaggio. Yeah, I don't know. Not, not a lot of not a lot of people go by Joe. It's not a, like a cool name or anything. Do we, are we extending it to? What's your okay? So, what is your favorite cup of Joe? How do you take your coffee? Well, I uh, I do take it with cream. Uh, I, today I'm actually drinking uh, butterscotch toffee, which Ooh. is nice and smooth. I like it a lot. Sounds like fall. That sounds yeah. Are you guys getting any fall there in the Midwest yet? 
Uh, things are starting to change a little bit. It's still pretty green outside, which yeah. is nice. Um, there are a few trees that have some yellow on them at the moment. So it looks like your 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 coffee's choice is kind of looking forward to that to that beautiful yeah, we, orange experience that's coming your way with the we nice drink breeze. A lot of coffee here, so there's usually a lot of different flavors to pick from every day. Hey, we got a question from Lily. She's 12, and her mom says here on the on the Instagram page that she's a girl who is always drawing, and she wants to know. As a kid, did you always love drawing? Like, were you always doodling? And what are or were some of your inspirations? So that's two questions there. As a kid, were you always drawing? And then what are, what are and were some of your inspirations for your work? Yeah, I was always drawing, um, even when I wasn't supposed to be drawing. So I drew all the time. I drew in school. I drew in the middle of class. Um, I drew when I got home, I think probably at school, I was dreaming about what I was going to draw when I got home. So I'd get home from school and get paper out and draw. Um, uh, I loved drawing with my dad. My dad, uh, he, he was an artist as well. Um, he, he's retired now, but he did work, uh, doing gold leaf on fire trucks. And so he, he did a lot of, uh, like, hand-painted emblems which now are just big stickers but he did a lot of hand-painted stuff on fire trucks for years and he would also do a lot of paintings at home uh like people would ask him to paint uh farm scenes on saws or he'd paint portraits of people's pets and things like that and uh, so i i love to to kind of lay on the floor in the kitchen when he had his easel out and he was painting and um, and he and I would also sit on my bed at night sometimes. I, I, thankfully, I still have a lot of this stuff saved, but we would we would sit on my bed with paper and just pass it back and forth and just draw silly characters. And, and that was that was really inspiring to me. And I still have a lot of that stuff saved from from my childhood. So he, my dad was a big inspiration to me as a, as a little kid um, and and really just movies and books and cartoons, uh, a lot of stuff inspired me to want to draw. Um, the first movie that I can remember that made me want to draw was The Secret of Nim. Uh, I can still remember seeing that on TV for the first time. And we had to shut it off like halfway through to go to my parent, my grandparents' house for something my dad was helping them fix. And uh, I was so bummed that I can still remember being at my grandparents' house with a pad of paper and drawing uh, scenes and, and characters from that movie wishing I was still at home watching it. You just try, just took it right with you. So yeah. this question kind of dovetails nicely into that. Um, another listener question. Uh, what is the first drawing you were ever really proud of? And maybe it's not the very first one uh, you were, but what's, what's one you remember um, from kind of that age? Um, uh, once again, my parents saved so much of my art. So I, I literally have like folders full of stuff that I've drawn probably as early as like three or four years old. Mm -hmm. So um, I can remember really liking um, some drawings that I did one night with a ballpoint pen at, at my bedside. My parents let me draw late one night because I couldn't fall asleep. Um, and I drew a, uh, a monster with like his arm around a baseball player. I have no clue why, but there's like a, a baseball player there and this big, hairy, like Chewbacca looking guy. And How old uh, were you? I think that it says I was four and a half on it. Okay. Leave. 
Yeah. That is now hanging in the Louvre. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've loaned it to them. So <laughs> on loan. <laughs> it's gonna be at the uh the at what at the MoMA <laughs> Museum of Modern Art next. Have you ever looked back on some of these really early rudimentary drawings and flushed them out as an adult or taken them as inspiration and made something I, great out of them? I have not. Although th- those kind of thoughts have come to me now and then wondering, you know, is there anything in those that is worth bringing back or playing with? Um, there, there I was, was just thinking uh, while you were talking about that monster, you had recently done, what was it? The construction monster? What was the book you illustrated? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Monsters Trucks. Yeah. Monsters Trucks. I could just, yeah. I was wondering if that monster is like something you just coming up with now or if that's been a slow process of drawing monsters your whole life yeah he he was more of a an attempt to appeal to the simpler side of things so yeah i mean i was kind of throwing back a little bit there um but uh, i remember there uh some publisher who i can't remember who they are they they do this uh guys write for guys read book series um and uh a few years back, they did one where some different authors or illustrators had kind of gone back to things that they did as kids. Um, and I remember, I remember someone doing like, like a, a series, a, a whole story on something that they used to draw when they were little, like a, a famous illustrator doing that. So I can see people, people kind of leaning back into something they did when they were kids, but probably none of my stuff. I don't know if it would be good enough to dive back into. Well, I want to. I want to know more about this monster and baseball player relationship. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on! You've I given could... us one example and you've knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's a. It's a. Uh, that should that should be a comic strip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I mentioned I mentioned jokingly just a minute ago museums, and I'm I'm curious as an artist, you know, museums are sometimes a place that get a bad rep among kids <laughs> are you a museum guy do you like to go to museums and you know you know just spend a lot of time with other people's work why would they get bad rep because because um, you have to be very quiet and you just you <laughs> can't run around hey i love museums i'm just saying sometimes you know no i get it kids you know they don't there's probably museums areas of art museums that kids like more kids probably don't grasp or want to grasp interpreting things but um i I have never actually been big on art museums. Um, I don't, I don't really know why, like I don't dislike them. Um, it's just never been my thing, I guess. And even when I attended the Columbus college of art and design, part of our tuition was that, or, or being there was that we had free access to the Columbus, uh, uh, Museum of Art, which was on our campus. And I think I only walked in there maybe twice in the whole time that I was there. Um, it's, I mean, it's kind of cool to, to go through every once in a while, but um, for whatever reason, it's just, I, I, I would prefer to look through children's books and stuff more than, than going and looking at, at fine art or, or paintings um, because it just doesn't relate to the way that I, that I think of art um but there have been gallery exhibits like uh when like the society of illustrators would come through our school um i would spend hours and hours every single day in that art exhibit which was like a thousand paintings um done by people who have illustrated certain texts or for magazine covers or whatever so 
um, kind of going through those and looking at like uh, original um, Norman Rockwell's or CF Payne's mm-hmm. stuff like that. I, I could stare at those for hours. Um, but I guess it was just, it was different, you know? Hey, so we have a question here from a kid. What's one thing you wish you could translate from your imagination to paper, but never seem to be able to do? That I could never seem to be able to do. Um, I have always really struggled with cars. Um, and my dad was always, and still is like very proficient at just whipping out a perfect car. And, uh, I really, really struggle with them bad. And, um, when you draw a car really well, it looks great on paper. If you draw a car really poorly, they look really bad on paper and, and you can tell, like you can see if you're looking through a book, uh, looking through illustrations, you can tell when a person should not be drawing cars or should at least be practicing their car drawing a little more. <laughs> is it the perspective? Is it the amount of detail? What's going on there? Or I is it a mystery? Typically, it is perspective and trying to understand where all of those various flat panes and angles kind of link together. And then most people who don't know how to draw cars can never seem to be able to sit the wheels inside the wheel well correctly. So that's, hmm. it gets pretty hard. Yeah. I wonder if there's, and is your dad a car guy? Look at he work on cars. Dad, yeah. He's a car guy. He loves cars. Yeah. So he had like a intuitive sense of proportions and the way they yeah. work and all that kind of thing. Yeah. So, uh, Going on your website, I was looking through a lot of your personal work, um, and it looks like you you have a, a big connection to nature. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of the a lot of the work you're doing involves trees or animals. Um, I'm assuming uh, you were a child that spent a lot of time outside, uh, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. I was, yeah, yeah, definitely. And all around Ohio, are you are you like out in the woods? Do you, did you grow up in a city? I didn't grow up in the city. Um, I did grow up in a housing development, but it was surrounded by woods and creeks. And um, I spent a lot of time uh, in the woods uh, and catching little animals, catching turtles and frogs. And and making them pose for you? Yeah. Hold still, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I did. I, I spent a lot of time fishing or uh, I even had years throughout uh, middle school and high school where a group of friends and I would take these big minnow nets, these like seines, and we would go and go through the water and flip rocks over and then pull it up on the shore and see what we, what we had in the net and just really learning and discovering creatures out there. And I still do it a lot. I, I, we, we live on some property and um, I know where all the salamanders live in our woods and I know where all the snakes live out on the islands in the Creek. And uh, I'm always looking for turtles and uh, I just enjoy finding life things that are out there living. And So when you are, is there writer's block for illustrators, <laughs> but whatever it is, when you're having writer's block for illustrator, uh, just going outside and looking for turtles or finding snakes or whatever, does that ever help jog your imagination or give you, get your creative juices flowing or whatever? We have a metaphor, by the way, creative juices flowing. <laughs> I have thought about yes. that. Yes to all of that. Um, there, there, I mean, I, I have very steady work flow. So I, I have work that has to get done. 
Um, so even if I don't feel like drawing or don't feel inspired, I have a deadlines to meet. So I just have to sit down and, and do it. Um, but there are sometimes very long stretches where I don't put anything into a sketchbook, like personal stuff. And, and there are plenty of times where I, I feel like I want to sit down and just maybe it's late at night before bed. I just want to sit and sketch and draw something for myself and just nothing comes out. Nothing comes to mind. Or uh, even if it does, it, it doesn't go on the page. Well, I don't, I don't like what's happening. Um, and there are, there are a lot of days where, where I might just stop and go take a walk out back and, especially like this in the summer, maybe see how many praying mantises I can find out in the field or just, yeah, just going out and just being, being in nature for just a little bit, take a walk down to the water or something. It definitely helps me a lot. Well, we ready for, ready for our uh, word of the week. Let's do it. Joe, are you ready for the word of the week? I'm very ready. All right. So, in season one, of course, we had all kinds of we had we had big troubles with our with our printer You'd, with our machine. You, you call those troubles? I think hiccups. Okay, okay, that's fine. We'll use the word hiccups just to be generous to to, to you. Um, but but here we we we've been working on this with this new printer here. Yeah, we've been working with this new machine, mm-hmm. and we're gonna see if it works. Are you ready? In the last couple, you know. Oh, uh, don't get upset. <sighs> Something you always want to hear at an important part of a podcast. Okay, well, I just turned <laughs> over here, up. and the uh-huh. printer's not there. Uh, but it looks like there's another printer here. I don't know. Did you switch these out? Mm, no. It's kind printers, of... Printers... No, I don't, would never touch your the, the word printer. That's your job. It kind of looks like a cartoony printer. It's got some <laughs> slime coming out of it. Let's just press, let's just press the uh, button. Uh, yeah, definitely. Let's just press the button. Just, uh, just something that's got slime I'm coming out of it. it. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, is that that's supposed to happen? You know, I think this um, might have something to do with this note I found earlier today. <laughs> well, you could have you could have led with the note. Oh man, it's it's Joe. Can you come be the printer guy instead of Graham for the future? Yeah, can you give me your address? I'll be there. Thank you. <laughs> the Thank note you. is in the troll's handwriting, it looks like, and it says, evil plan to get rid of bookstore humans. Step one, uh, printer trap. Um, Did we walk into a printer trap? I think we walked into a printer trap. Uh, so I how- didn't connect the note <laughs> that explained the plot with the printer. You didn't connect the phrase printer trap with the slime-covered printer? I, I see where I went wrong now. Yeah, okay. Okay. In hindsight, it's always 2020, right? Well, okay, we're going to have to figure out another way to come up with a word. So hold on. All right, we are back. We have a word of the week with no thanks to the, uh, to the printer trap. Here's our word of the week. Joe, are you ready for this? I'm ready. The word is wabbit. W-A-B-B-I-T. It felt appropriate. <laughs> now, one... okay. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you what may or may not be true about this word, but that's our word. Wabbit. W-A-B-B-I-T. So you have a minute to to write down what you think the definition of this word is. We're going to come back together. We're going to share what we think the definition is and then discover what the real one is. All right. We are back. Graham, Joe, are you ready for the weekly 
word face off. I don't know what that just felt like. Of course, some drama. All right, Gra- uh, Graham goes first. He he. We throw him to the wolves first. So Graham, what does wabbit mean? Okay, I might have gone for the low hanging fruit here. I'm not sure, but a wabbit is a bizarro version of a rabbit. So think, I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with the Nintendo-verse, but there's Wario. <laughs> Nintendo-verse. There's Wario and okay. Waluigi, right? Like, mm-hmm. they're, the, they're kind of the evil version. Oh, okay. So, so it's an evil rabbit. So this rabbit, quote-unquote, we don't actually know if he's a rabbit, Okay, uh, comes around and causes as much chaos as possible. How do you know it's a wabbit and not a rabbit? Because he's purple and he has a W in his fur. <laughs> And he also says, I'm the wabbit. <laughs> oh, okay. I've come to <laughs> cause chaos. So he, tell, he tells you. Yeah, he tells you. Okay, okay. That seems like one potential definition. It I, is, yes. I think that a wabbit is, it's, I mean, this seems obvious. It's the state that a dog or other creature, such as a raccoon, gets where it's foaming at the mouth and tries to bite you. Wabbit. Hmm. <laughs> wabbit. You're too. thinking of... Um, a different word, I think. <laughs> no, I think <laughs> he's no. always trying to do this to me. He's always saying I'm thinking of a different word. Okay, <laughs> well, that sounds like rabid, but well, that's fine. Oh yeah, that's a rabid dog. A rabid dog. A rabid dog. dog. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, Joe, what do you think it is? Well, Joe, you've heard two terrible definitions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I do live slightly out in the country so i know a little more about this than you guys mm-hmm. a wabbit is actually the fleshy flaps of skin that hang below the lower jaw of the wessex saddleback pig oh that's where i've heard this mm. yeah. I, let's just go with that one can you say that again the fleshy flaps of skin that hang below the lower jaw of the wessex saddleback pig mm. did you also produce an illustration of this uh, n- no, but there's one in my backyard, so I'll just get you a picture. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have a wabbit in your backyard? Well, no, I have a Wessex Saddleback pig, and they have wabbits. So. Oh, okay. okay. So he's got two wabbits. He's got two wabbits. Yeah, how <laughs> much does it, does they have two of these things? Uh, if they don't have two, usually you don't use them for breeding, so. Oh, yeah, okay. Something's okay. gone wrong. Yeah, all right. That makes sense. All right, tell us, tell us this. Uh, so the real definition of a wabbit is... It's a Scottish term for being exhausted. Oh, so like I'm wabbed? Yeah, I'm pretty wabbed uh, at the moment. How are you feeling today? Yeah. Wabbed. Yeah. A good descriptor. Yeah. So this is one to remember. So kids, <laughs> next time you're just you're, you're feeling tired. a little down, you're, a little tired. You're tired of your homework. You yeah. Know, you've been done one too many chore. Yeah. I mean, not that we're trying to give kids new excuses to, to give to their parents or anything. But, well, I don't think their parents will fall for it, but you can try. <laughs> it's true. Joe, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, before you go, we need you to yeah. call out. Yeah, um, challenge someone. Challenge a, a friend, an illustrator, an author that you know that you think might want to come on this podcast. Or that might not want to come on, but you think should have to endure it. Should have to endure it. Um, I'm going to say Jamin Still. Jamin Still. Jamin Got Still. It. Tell us a little bit you, about you've Jamin. Been, he, this person has he or she? So he and he is uh, he's one of my team members at Hutchmoot in my visual arts community. He's um, he's a painter and he paints just the coolest fantasy illustrations from this world that he has 
created. He's got a couple books out that, that are involved in this world. And all of his paintings just have like a real mystical look to them. A lot of stars and glowing things and mm. um, magical creatures. And he's, uh, he's illustrated a lot of uh, various things for rabbit room authors. And he's just a really great guy. Well, it's a great challenge. Thank you, Jamin. You've been challenged. Yourself challenged. Yeah. yeah. Joe, thank you for coming on. We hope that this episode did not make you so wabbit that you cannot get to the, your illustrating for the rest of the day. I'm far too wabbit right now. <laughs> I'm for a nap for all of us. <laughs> well, that was Joe Sutphin. Thanks so much to him for coming on the podcast and putting up with the nonsense. Great illustrator. And uh, we hope you'll check out all of the books that he has been, uh, you know, a part of making so beautiful. That brings us now to Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Riddle Time. Okay, so it's Riddle Time. And that means that we got to give you an answer to last week's riddle, and then we've got a new riddle for you. Who did last week's riddle? I think you did. Yeah, I, I think I did. Yeah, well, I you mean, did. I, I told it. I, I didn't like I wasn't in it or anything. Right, so can you recap your, it? Your daughter was in it. Yeah, I remember now. I remember now. So your daughter was at my house Mm -hmm. and for reasons that are not clear she threw a cat she threw my cat up into a tree she then went and retrieved a 20-foot ladder pushed it up against the tree and began to climb that ladder in in hopes of rescuing my cat Bo. yeah however as she climbed she fell yes mercifully however she did not get hurt yeah how could this be jello garden dang it Jello Garden. Yeah. Right. No, wait, no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh. Well. You want to hear what my... Um, what the real answer is? You want to hear what my five-year-old said? Uh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> my five-year-old said... <laughs> he said, well, she was probably climbing with a winter jacket on. Oh. And then she took her jacket and her clothes off and threw them down at the bottom. So when she landed, she landed on top of that makes sense. So she was like prepared for falling. She knew. Yeah. She, she made a pillow at the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. With her, with her, I mean, that's really clever. Yeah. But that's not the answer. Oh, okay. Do you, do you know what the answer is? I do. I figured it out. Do you want to do you want to, let's see if you, how, how good you are. So she put a 20 foot ladder. Yeah. Up against the tree. Right. And she fell off a 20 foot ladder. Right. But doesn't mean she was at the twenty foot mark of this That's ladder. Right. You are good. I Who bet she was on the first step or the second step. Yeah, she, she wasn't. She just wasn't high. She enough. She couldn't to, be high to, enough to hurt to, herself to get hurt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, and because the tree was planted in the Jello Garden, that just happens. Well, yeah, it's like to a, help. Right, it does. Like it's not going to hurt. Right. Also, tastes good. <laughs> hey, what's your favorite kind of Jello? Uh, any of it. Any Jellos? Red, blue, <laughs> green, green. I don't. I don't think Jello has a flavor. I just you don't see think color. in terms of flavors. You just think in terms yes, of yeah, exactly. like rainbow. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, it's time for this week's riddle of the week. What do you got for us? Ooh, that's a good one. Is it? Yeah. It's All great. right. All right. I'm, I'm counting on it. Okay, Francisco. Okay. Francisco's wandering around his house. It's winter. He's looking out the window, seeing the snowfall. Hmm. Okay. There's a man standing in his front yard. Oh, Lord. Creepy. Every day, Francisco would wake up and look out the window. 
and the man would still be there. Hmm. Oh man, this is is this a, is this a Halloween thing? Because this is no, a creepy this is one. a winter riddle. Oh, winter. Well, winter is coming. That man was there for weeks. That that winter, maybe a month. Eventually, he wasn't there anymore. Who was that man? Well, I mean, let's think about Francisco's neighbors. So we've got Pierre, <laughs> Carl. Yeah, it wasn't them. Sean. It, it wasn't them? No, because no, his, uh, the man wasn't moving. I'll say that. Oh, well, it was the statue of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he did not have any statues that mysteriously appeared and disappeared in his yard. Oh, oh, okay. I see. I see. I see. I got it. So okay. there was a man in his yard. Okay. Well, you know what? Clearly, I'm going to have to think about this one for a week, and then we'll have to see if we can come up with the answer yeah, for, I think for so. next week. Okay. All right. Well, Graham, the end of Riddle Time brings us, sadly, to the end of another episode of Withy Windle. And it bringing me to the end of this pumpkin. <laughs> How are you feeling? I'm starting to feel like a pumpkin. Like, I, do I look orange? That and other reasons you look pumpkin-y. Yeah. I look very pumpkin-y. <laughs> Pumpkin-ish? Pumpkin-ish. Yeah. But I, I mean, I'm, fr- I'm proud of myself. I think I need to make another medal. You, you I should probably make another medal for la- myself. Largest pumpkin eaten. Eaten. Yeah. Yeah. Voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, actually, I'd assume someone was forcing you to. <laughs> Why would somebody do that voluntarily? Just their own sense of accomplishment fair enough determination okay. okay all right well uh speaking of sense of accomplishment i feel pretty good about this episode and hopefully all of our listeners do as well if you do feel good about it please do leave us a review on whatever app you're using you know if it if it actually allows for that sort of thing uh tell all your friends tell your family tell your pets tell strangers standing in your yard tell your pumpkins tell your pumpkins yeah and uh we would love to hear from you you can email us with your questions for authors your feedback about this podcast or with recipes for pumpkin-type-based foods. But how can people do that, Graham? Uh, they can email us at podcasts at goldberrybooks.com. When you started saying that, and I first heard the puh come out of your mouth, yeah. my brain said pumpkin at goldberrybooks.com. You could email pumpkins at goldberrybooks.com, but that email will come right back to you. Unless we create pumpkins. At- no, we're not no, we're doing not, okay. that. We're not, we're do not that. doing that. Okay. All right. So they can do that. You can also follow along on Instagram at goldberry um, studios, goldberry studios, and then goldberry underscore books and C is the, the bookstore. It gets confusing. So, yeah. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. We always love hearing from you and, um, we're just, we're really glad, really grateful to be able to bring this podcast yeah. to all of our young listeners. And, and David, you're always, whenever I, I say something uh, uh, kind of ridiculous, you're like, oh, the ki- kids draw Graham as this, draw Graham as that. Yeah, well, I was. I just, like that. That's funny. I've got a lot of gingerbread Grahams and stuff, but, but I want the kids to draw David as a pumpkin head and me chasing after him with a spoon. That's what I want to see. <laughs> so that's your assignment this week. Pumpkin head David and violent Graham. Hungry Graham. Uh-oh, hungry. Well, if you still want to eat a pumpkin after today, then I give you more power to you. More po- <laughs> um, all right. Well, you know what? Enough of the nonsense. Thanks so much to the Green Rider for, for sponsoring the podcast. Head over to greenrider.sdsmith.com to, uh, to learn more about how you can sign up for that program. We're grateful to them. We're grateful to you. This has been another episode of Withy Wendell. 
Thanks so much for listening. And until next time, happy reading. Happy pumpkin eating. Happy pumpkin eating.